Hey there, welcome to Claim the Stage, the podcast about public speaking, and we're all about helping women with this skill. I'm Angela Lucier. I'm your host. I'm also an author, a speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. And the Claim the Stage podcast is all about helping women to discover, awaken, and create their voice through the art of public speaking. And I do that through interviews, Q&A episodes, my own crazy stories about (laughs) my life and public speaking, and lots of tips and advice. So on today's episode, I'm very excited to bring you my guest, Joel Schwartzberg. Joel is an author who has written a book about how to make a point that sticks. And this is a really important topic because we've all sat in the audience and we've sat through maybe an hour long talk and at the end wondered, what was I supposed to learn there? (laughs) So if you've been in the audience and you've had that happen to you, you know how frustrating that is. And as a speaker, you may have signed up to give a talk on a subject that you don't know that much about. And at the end of it, wondered to yourself, did that hit the mark? In today's episode, Joel is going to get into some really simple and effective techniques to help you be better at building out a point that's clear and effective. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to Joel. And before I do that, I want to mention that there is a part in the interview when my cat comes right up to the glitter closet where I record my my podcast and he just meows and meows and meows. This is kind of what he does around dinner time, so it's the middle of the day. I don't know why he's meowing, but you'll get to meet him. His name is Nepo, (laughs) and he loves to meow. (laughs) So here is my interview with Nepo and Joel Schwartzberg. Okay, I'm here live on Facebook with Joel Schwartzberg, and today we're talking about how to make a point that sticks. And this is such a great topic because we've all seen speakers who get on stage, they start talking, and you're wondering to yourself, where is this going? And maybe it goes nowhere. But today's episode is all about getting to the point. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Joel before we jump into the interview. Joel Schwartzberg is the Senior Director of Strategic and Executive Communications for a national nonprofit organization. He's a professional communications trainer and the author of the just-released Get to the Point, Sharpen Your Message, and Make Your Words Matter. He's a former national champion public speaker and speech coach, and he's written articles for Fast Company, Toastmaster Magazine, The New York Times Magazine, Newsweek, The Huffington Post, and New Jersey Monthly. More information can be found at joelschwartzberg.net. Joel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Angela. I'm I'm very, very uh, proud and happy to be here. I was looking at your book on Amazon this morning, and I saw that you had recommendations or endorsements from Seth Godin and Peter Shankman, and like the list was went on and on and on, and I thought, wow, this guy is so awesome. I'm so excited to have him on my show today, so thanks for being here. Good. It's my pleasure. I am a huge Seth Godin fan. So Yeah, yeah. No, he's terrific, and I feel very honored that he, uh, he said good things about the book. Yeah, and I'm really excited that we have so many Superman dolls with us today, too, because they rarely make an appearance on the show. <laughs> and if so, things go bad, I'm just going to let them take over, if that's all right. Okay, I mean, I'm going to try not to steer us in any weird direction, <laughs> but I can't make any promises. So, Joel, how did you get into this field? I'm always curious. Well, I actually began my public speaking journey way back in sixth grade as a, um, a middle school student in Texas. There's something called competitive speech and debate. It's actually called forensics 
which we know it in one way, but in another way, it's speech and debate. And I began this competitive journey where I was eventually doing events like impromptu speaking, informative speaking, persuasive speaking. And that took me all the way through senior year college. I never stopped. It was basically 11 years straight. And in 1990, I was a national champion in an event called After Dinner Speaking. And what happened was after my competitive life ended, and it went on for a while because I coached some colleges and universities, including University of Pennsylvania. But I realized that when I was interviewing for jobs, or when I had a job and was going to a conference, or even just making a point at a meeting, I was using all of those skills I learned as a competitor. And I basically sat down with myself, and I wanted to identify those particular skills that made me a stronger communicator. And as I explored that, I realized there were key things that I learned and that I used myself that not only benefited me, but that I really, really wanted to share with other people. And they were unique things, too, because I did a lot of surveys of public speaking tips. There are books about public speaking. There are books about expression. But the things I learned that were, in essence, the most important and critical things, I hadn't seen. So in about 2006, I started this side practice of coaching people. And that workshop that I've done has gotten better and better and more concise and more to the point over time. So by the time last year, I realized that I can actually encapsulate all of this in a book and use my writing skills, my humor skills, and all of this to really make it readable and tight. Uh, that's when I thought this message can get out to a lot more people than I can even do personally. So that's sort of the journey that took me from my first experiences and expression to where I am now, able, by virtue of that experience, to share those messages with a lot of different people from interns to CEOs. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Before we go too far into the interview, I want to say hello to everyone on Facebook Live who's watching right now. If you have any questions throughout the interview, feel free to write them in the comment box and I will make sure to ask Joel before the interview is over. So Joel, it sounds like you have so much experience in different, different ways where it comes, when it comes to public speaking. Why did you choose to write a book specifically about messaging? Right. Well, I want to go even uh, more specific than that. This book is about making a point. And whether you're talking about messaging or making a point, that's something that transcends public speaking. We are always involved in messaging. I don't care who you are. You always come to a point where you have a point to make. And the question is, how do you make that with impact? How do you make it so it's something that's of value and not valueless, not going down a road where you don't know what the end is, which is something you were talking about, Angela, earlier. And so that can be in your workplace, that can be to your mother-in-law, that can be to your children. That's something of value that transcends any setting or any sort of context. So that's why I wanted to do it. And the reason I'm focusing on the point, and to be clear, this is not, there are public speaking lessons in the book, but what I really want to get across to people is the value of a point is because this is the thing I think most speeches are missing. We see a lot of people giving speeches. I see very few people actually making points. And why? Because most people don't know what a point is. And if you don't know what a point is, you're sure as heck not going to be able to convey it with strength. Well, I guess my next question has to be, what is a point? <laughs> So let's first start by saying what's not a point, because these are the things that are confused with points. People confuse an idea, a theme, a title, sometimes a catchphrase, or a topic even, with a point. So social media, for example, is not a point. Podcasting is not a point. So what is a point? 
a point is something, and I was talking to my daughter who was in high school about this, as she was writing a thesis, which is sometimes very point-like. A point is something you can argue. It's a proposition that often has a reasonable counterpoint, but it's something for which you can provide evidence, illustration. You're putting yourself out there and tying yourself as a stakeholder to an idea that you want people to leave with. So for example, I don't want people to leave with the idea of podcasting or leave with the idea of social media. What am I saying about social media? What's the point I'm trying to make about podcasting? If it's one side or another, what's the value of it? What's the audience we're trying to reach? What argument, and I don't mean a Thanksgiving type argument, I mean a literal case that I wanna make. What case am I making? And what do I want my audience to do as a result of my successfully making that case? So we go through a lot of tools. You know, this book is sort of a manual. Sometimes I call it the strunk and white of making a point because it's very nuts and bolts and I designed it to be like that. So there are very specific and easy litmus tests to find out if you're on your way to Pointville or way off the road. So what kind of mistakes do you see people make when it comes to making their point? It seems simple enough, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go to the very first and sort of the bread and butter test. And it's called the I believe that test. And it's actually very simple. Take what you think is your point. Say it's podcasting or the importance of podcasting. I'm going right to you, Angela. And put the words I believe that in front of it. And the first very simple test is, is that a complete thought? Is it a grammatically correct sentence? Would it impress your fourth grade English teacher? So for example, you can't say I believe that podcasting. That's not a sentence. You can't say I believe that the importance of social media. You can't say, I believe that the essence of millennials, none of those are complete sentences. So you're really not on your way to making a point. It's only when you say, I believe that this approach will allow us to reach millennials. All right, so that's a sentence, right? So that means you're on your way to making a case. And then there are other tests to sharpen that point. But that's the very first level. Whatever you think your point is, whether you're going in to speak in front of 500 people, or whether you're going into a Monday status report and you want people to know where things are on your beat or in your projects, use this test. Put the words, I believe that in front of it. If it is a complete sentence, then at least you know you're on your way to making an argument, not just talking about something, not just throwing words out there. Hmm. So how do people fail to get to the point, especially if they have that I believe statement up front? Right. So they fail to develop that point if they stop there or if they do something that a lot of people do. For example, I'm going to bring this out. It's called badjectives. So a badjective is a general adjective like great or fantastic or very good. And that's basically a point like a complete sentence would be, I believe that this approach is fantastic. Or I believe that we're heading in a very good direction. The problem with that is what are you actually saying? People can put their own meaning into the word very good or fantastic or great in a million different ways. So by attaching something very general to it, this badjective to it, you're actually not saying anything at all. So even if you say, oh, my communication is going to be that this new podcasting channel will be great. You're not putting forth something of value. And at the end of the day, that's the ballgame. You know, you want your audience to receive your point. So much so that that's the only way to know if you're successful enough is to go to your audience and say, what do you think my point was? 
did you receive my point? Because let's look at some of the things that people ascribe to a great communicator. Interesting, charismatic, funny, powerful, moving. But you see, all those things are disconnected to the goal of communication, which is to convey your point. You don't want people to come away saying, wow, I was so impressed with that communicator. That woman was so charismatic and interesting and knowledgeable. That guy was so smart. Well, what's the value of that? That person isn't intending to make his qualifications look great or him or herself look great. That's not the goal. The goal, as I often tell my clients, is to take your point and to literally move it from here to here. And if you do that any way you can, then you are successful. But if you don't do that, even if people remember you as being funny, charismatic, interesting, memorable, uh, attractive, then you failed because that is not what you're in the game for. You're in the game for moving your point, having people receive it successfully. Right. So the adjectives you're using right now could be useful if you're a comedian, right? A stand-up comedian, but right. public speakers aren't up there to just tell jokes. They're up there to make a point and to take their audience from point A to point B. Right. The goal of the comedian is to entertain the audience and to make the com comedian seem funny. The goal of a public speaker is to move that point. Now, I will say the best comedians, Amy Schumer, Chris Rock, they are making points and they're often reiterating those points. So they have a strong, actually serious social point they're trying to make. They're just using humor as the vehicle to make it. But if you ask Chris Rock or Amy Schumer at the end of the day, what are you trying to do? I, I suspect they would say, I'm trying to make people realize X that I believe that this way of thinking is better than that way of thinking. Can you share one of the major takeaways from the book that helps readers get to the point? Yeah, one of the things and one of the approaches I recommend all the time is something called split ends. And that's not about your shampoo. It's about the inclination to add more details, like you're adding on extensions to your home. The thinking is, oh, if I load up my point with this idea and that idea and that idea, that's great, right? Because there's more information that my audience will get more information. And I'm just kind of, it's like putting more chocolate chips into a cookie. But that's actually not the case. And the truth is, you know, we often think that less is more. But what I want people to believe is that more is less. When you add things to your point, you're diluting the power and the impact of each of those things. And let me put this in an example. I'm a CEO of a company, and I'm saying this approach will make us more efficient, effective, successful, and powerful. Now, as an audience, you're thinking, which one of those words was most important? And inside, the impact is those words are competing with each other. So you don't know which one is more important. They're competing with each other, and as a result, they all dilute the impact of the other ones. As opposed to, I believe that this approach will make us more effective. Now that is something that people will digest, consume, take value from, and move on with. Now it's not to say you can't have multiple points in the speech, but separate them out. First, I'm going to talk about how this approach will make us more efficient. Then after that, we're going to talk about how this approach is going to make us more effective. So I'm segregating those things, but I'm not loading up my point with a whole bunch of ideas because I know they'll all compete with each other. And in the end, I won't be making a strong impression at all. Do you have any rules around the number of points you should make in a talk? 
based on how long the talk is? I always tell people to keep in mind that an audience will remember maybe one, two, or three things. And really when I say three things, I'm lying. One or two things from a presentation. So to answer your question would be one or two ideas. But ultimately, it's one. If you need to ask yourself, if my audience can only take away one concept, one I believe that, what should it be? And let me make sure to make that clear, explicit, reiterate it, start with it, end with it, because that's the piece of value you want them to leave with. So you may have three subtopics. You know, this approach, how this approach works in our company, how it works in the context of America, and how it works in the context of the world. That's fine. People often use that approach. But when you put it all together, this will make us more successful. Find out what that big umbrella topic is, because you know what an elevator speech is. That's, the, uh, that's the, the description of something you give someone that you have to give between floors three and five before they get off the elevator. You don't have time to say three things. You have time to say one thing. So I want to take that elevator approach and apply it to your speech. If you have only time to give one idea, know what that idea is. Don't leave that to chance, and certainly don't wing it. I deal with a lot of clients that say, oh, because I'm an expert in this field, often lawyers, uh, apologies to the lawyers out there, but they think, oh, because I'm such a specialist, I can wing it. I can just go off the top of my head. But being a specialist in something and knowing the one point you're trying to make and leave them with, those are two separate things. And the second one, that takes some effort. So in backing up those points, do you have a formula for how many stories should be told versus how much data or statistics should be used? I think statistics helps. I think stories help. I think data helps. Whatever you need to make that point clear. I don't like to say hard and fast numbers. Just like I say, when they give you 15 minutes to speak at a conference, don't worry about hitting 15 minutes. Worry about hitting the point at which you feel you've made the strongest case you can. Now, Angela, you brought up something important, which I think a lot of people miss. We're always talking about stories, right? Stories is the big thing. Tell stories. Tell as many stories as you can. Stories are magic and brilliant. Fair enough. But if you tell a story and then you do not connect it to your point, that story has no value because we're not telling a story to make our audience more interested or fascinated or entertained. That story is a vehicle through which you're making your point. So what I find is a lot of people tell the story, then end the story and move on. So what you have to do, the important part is not even the story itself, but after the story, when you say, let me tell you what that story illustrates, or that story demonstrates why it's so important that we take this approach. So we've talked a lot about messaging in terms of getting to the point, but let's talk about delivery. Mm -hmm. How does tone get in the way or help get getting to the point, especially when it comes to women, since that's who we're talking to in this podcast. Right. So let's talk about some generic things at first, but they definitely apply to women. But let's talk about that specifically when we get to that. The things I talk about most when I talk to my clients, you know, this is what you hear from a public speaking trainer or a communications trainer, um, breathing and eye contact. But to tell you the truth, if you're still alive, you know how to breathe. And what do we know about eye contact? Obviously, try to share the love to as many people in the room as possible. I'm concerned with the more critical things, and one of them is volume. I do a test often when I have 20 people in a room and I'm doing a workshop. I ask people to say their name, their title, and their point louder than they would normally do it, uncomfortably loud, inappropriately loud. And you know what? They can't. 
no one can ever really do it. They just can't bring themselves to be that loud. But when I force them to, or the ones who can, I then pull the room and I say, what is the, what is the, the impact of that person being louder? And you know what they say? More leadership, more confidence, more credibility. All these fantastic things happen from being louder. Now, sometimes people are told, oh, you need to sound more like a leader or you need to represent more like a leader. What does that mean? You know, that's not very actionable. But what is actionable? Being louder. Everyone can do that, right? And when you're louder, you're actually sounding more like a leader. I will tell you that when I have people just increase their volume, they go from sounding like an intern to a senior manager and sometimes from a middle manager to a vice president by volume alone. And that's very actual. So that's one of the big things I encourage people to do is to be louder. Now, I will tell you, Angela, that women do have the biggest problem with the volume issue. Yeah, especially if you're not used to talking that loud. Doesn't right. it come across as awkward because that person probably feels uncomfortable doing it? Does, are they actually able to, I don't know, to show some level of confidence if they're not usually talking that loud? Sometimes the biggest and most impressive and most important things you can do as a communicator may feel uncomfortable because they come into conflict with training or learning or programming that happened when you were children. My specialty is not exploring the psychological reasons people may be uncomfortable doing this, that, or the other, and women in particular. But I will say this, whether it's a woman or a man, when I encourage them to be louder, all those things happen. Now, some women have an idea that if they're louder, they'll be perceived as aggressive. Or sometimes, as we heard in the recent election, shrill. My advice to those people is to not worry about that. My feeling is, and what I believe, is that that's a problem with the person who's actually making and having that prejudice. And you should not customize or bring yourself down to customize yourself for someone's prejudice, especially if it's an unfair prejudice. So if you're worried about someone thinking that you're aggressive, that's not your problem, that's their problem. And what I encourage people to do, especially uh, speakers who are women in my classes, is never to step down to someone else's prejudice. You need to step up. What they need to do is grow up, and let's let them grow up. Because look at the speakers who have made, who are the strongest speakers, and ask, were they ever perceived as aggressive? I'm talking about Michelle Obama and Ms. Uh, Meryl Streep and Viola Davis and other speakers, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, who just gave a presentation recently. Nobody said that she was aggressive, but that was fantastically strong and effective. And that's why volume and presence is so important. And that's why I counsel people not to worry about the prejudices they bring to that event. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Can you share a few tips to improve presence beyond using your voice? Sure. So I, I want to reiterate that volume one. But the other thing I want to talk to people about is giving time. And, you know, one of the things we worry about is our crutch words like um and ah uh, and so. And I try not to tell people stop doing that because that's very hard to say stop doing that. There's a reason you're doing it. So I want to present something that can be a substitute for that. And the substitute for those crutch words is pausing. Pausing is so important. Sometimes we fear pausing because it's awkward. Absolutely, it's awkward. But it doesn't communicate that you've lost your place or you have nothing else to say. The first thing, it creates suspense. 
because you don't know what I'm going to say next. For another thing is it shows that you're thinking live and audiences love when the speaker or the communicator is thinking in front of them because it's a very visceral, interesting experience as opposed to something that's very, very rehearsed. But you know what, Angela, forget all that. The number one reason I really want people to pause is because it gives them the time to construct what they're going to say with complete precision. Your brain doesn't always move as fast as your mouth. And the problem is some people, their mouths are out here and their brains are out here following behind. So their brains have to catch up. Meanwhile, their mouth is talking, talking, talking. We want to flip that. So in fact, you're pausing and giving time. So your brain is actually constructing those words, using the machete to break through the nonsense so your mouth can actually say the words that it needs to say so you can make that point with precision and with impact. If you're speaking too quickly, you're just hurting yourself and your ability to be precise. How do you, do you have any tips for, for pausing? Because I think there's a time warp that happens when you're speaking in front of a group of people. In your yeah. mind, it feels like you've been silent for 10 minutes and it's been three seconds. Right, right. I think part of it is embracing the pause and knowing that it's okay. Knowing your heart that only good things will happen from pausing. No bad things will happen. No one, whoever comes, no one ever comes from a presentation and says, you know, that was a great presentation, but the speaker paused too much. <laughs> or said their point too often. You know, those things don't happen because those are strength points. In fact, audiences don't remember when people pause because nothing was there. So if you need to pause, pause. People won't remember it at the end. Also, what helps people pause if you're a fast talker? No, I'm a fast talker. I'm from New York. So I need to work against that. One of the things I do is if you raise your volume, you are expending so much breath and so much energy to do that, it is almost impossible to speak too quickly. So one of the ways to slow yourself down is to speak louder. Another way is to articulate more. And if you increase your articulation, then you're making yourself more able for your audience to understand what you're saying. But it's another way of slowing yourself down. Because if you're over-articulating, that's another thing that will make it very, very hard to speak too quickly. But it all starts with embracing the pause. And not fearing that moment. You know, we've been trained to fear pausing because it is awkward. It's just like when I train people with gestures. The most important gesture if you're giving a speech is to keep your hands down. We can all do this. Everybody does this. But we do it because it's a nervous aspect. What we need to train ourselves to do is to keep our hands down so we can use our gestures to put emphasis on particular points. But this, hands down speaking, very, very awkward. Nobody mm -hmm. likes to do it. But it's the best thing you can do if you're a public speaker. So we have a couple of minutes left and I want to remind everyone watching on Facebook Live that if you have a question, you can type it in really quick and I'll make sure to answer it before we're finished here. Last question I have before we jump into the lightning round, Joel. Mm -hmm. If you could give just one piece of advice to my listeners that they could do today to help them get to the point out of all the things you've shared and maybe something you're about to share, what would you tell them to do? I would reiterate, and like I train my speakers to do, reiterate the most important thing. Recognize what's that, if nothing else, what's the one thing that your audience may want to leave with? And I want to go back to and put mustard on, as I like to say, the big idea, which is know your point. Use the I believe that test. And my book has the I believe that test spelled out and it has some other tests to help you sharpen that point. But tomorrow or this week, you're going to be going to a meeting and you're going to be asked to express something, an idea, a status report, a 
new plan? Instead of winging it or just letting it run to chance, spend some time early on, use the I believe that test and put it in the form of a point. So don't just throw it out there, make your case. Sometimes I get on public speakers who say, I want to talk a little bit about, well, what does that really mean? I want to talk a little bit about, well, I'm going to share some words and you'll share some words and hopefully they'll get together and magically we'll create a solution. No, it's your job, your burden to actually make the case and have people understand it. So the next time you know you're going to open your mouth, maybe it's not even a work setting, think a little bit in advance. How do I turn it into a point? Because when you turn it into a point, it has the greatest chance of having the kind of impact you're looking for. Perfectly said. We have a couple fans here who have made some comments. Dana says the best comedians are very much about making a point. So she's in agreement with you about that. And Sandra says she's just tuning in. Great tips so far. So you've got some supporters here. We're going to jump into the lightning round. Question number one, Joel, what does success mean to you? So for me, in terms of my workplace and outside the workplace, for me, it's about having an impact on someone else. And communication is a tool for doing that but also helping out someone in need, helping an animal in need, uh, just having an impact on someone else because you, you know, like they say, you don't get to take it with you. So success to me means having an impact on someone that can be lasting, that can help them, that they could turn around and have an effect on someone else. That would be the biggest success to me. Number two, why is it important for more women to speak up? Well, I'm going to say something that may be controversial, but I think women are smarter than men. I'm just going to say that. I'm not pandering. I promise you I'm not pandering. It's just my experience. So I think that I want women to be more represented than they are. And there are a lot of tools to becoming more represented, a lot of which are outside of your own ability. You need society to elevate so that women are better represented. But once they are represented, it's important that they don't let ideas and notions and prejudices that they've heard get in the way of what they need to do. Uh, be Oprah. Uh, be those people I talked about. And make your point with strength. And that way you're going to have impact. And I think the most impactful and memorable women are those, or anyone for that matter, are those who make their points with strength and successfully and whose points are clear. Number three, if you were given an extra $100 per week, what would you do with it? My wife and I are foodies, so I would definitely, with that little amount of money, I would take us out to dinner more often. I would save her the trouble of cooking, and I love communicating with her. She's a school teacher, so she's all about uh, teaching her children to make points through their writing. And we have our best conversations when we're in a restaurant, drinking wine, and having someone else bringing out our food. That's what I would do. <laughs> Number four, what is your favorite word, and what does it taste like? You know, a word I love and use a lot, and I think those two things are important, is champion. Not as a noun, but as a verb. We want to champion our ideas. We want to own them and be the person best able to present them. So that's the word I think I would use, and to me, it tastes like a big baked potato. <laughs> because I love baked potatoes. I must have a little bit of Irish in me somewhere. And the bigger, the better. And when I think of championing an idea, I think of something big. I think of something you customize. I think of something that feels delicious if you uh, jump into it and own it. 
Or maybe oh I just God. like baked potatoes. So. Yeah. You're like, I just need to work that into this interview at some point. <laughs> at some point. It's all about the potatoes and the sour cream, frankly. Oh, yeah, definitely. Number five, what does it mean to you to claim the stage? So something I talk about with my direct reports here at work and I counsel to other people is a concept of ownership. When I think of someone taking the stage, I think of not just them owning their little, you know, where the X is on the stage and owning that little piece or owning their speech or their piece of drama or what that is. When you own the stage, you own the entire stage. You're responsible for it. You take stake in it. And to me, that means ownership. And that connects to something that I recommend in terms of professional development, which is you may have, if, you, if you're a manager, you may have direct reports coming to you and saying, oh, here's a status report or here's what's going on. And what I recommend you saying is, what's your recommendation? What do you suggest? This forces that direct report or a colleague to actually put themselves out there and make a recommendation, have ownership, claim the stage, and make a point. And if you do it repeatedly, then your direct report will be coming to you sooner or later and saying, here's the status report, and here's what I recommend, and here's what I suggest. Those are leadership skills. So I'm looking for my direct reports to own the stage, to take ownership, and take the stage, and be responsible. And that's true elevation. So for me in my workplace, that's what I think of when I think of claiming the stage. I think of taking ownership of that moment. Is there anything you'd like to promote or share with the audience? Well, the book is Get to the Point, and it came out in October. Originally, when I pitched it to the publisher, it was a larger public speaking book, but they realized, as I thought I knew, but I didn't realize when I was making my proposal, they realized this, this stuff about points is so resonant and so is more important than the basic public speaking tips, which you can frankly find anywhere, that they told me, we need this book to be small. We need it to be like a manual. So cut out this other two thirds. Let's go right to the heart of it. If you're about making a point, let's let this book make a point. So it's actually a small book. You could read it in maybe a few hours. I also use humor, but I don't want to be the dentist with bad teeth. So if I need 600 pages to write a book about making a point, then I'm not a good point maker myself. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, I call it, like I said, the shrunken white of point making. And I intended it to be that way. And I hope people use it that way. Great. And where can we find more information about you and your book? So you can go to joelschwartzberg.net. That's where you can find links to Amazon or wherever you like to buy books to find about it. Um, I also write articles about public speaking. So you could find those there as well. So that's joelschwartzberg.net. But if you're going to go right to Amazon, you just Google my name and get to the point and you'll find it pretty easily. And I hope it really helps you. And I love to hear feedback about how people use the point. If you're local to me in the New York, New Jersey area, I do workshops about it using the book. So like I said, Angela, I, I really enjoy giving this back. I don't want to keep this to myself. I want everyone to be a champion of their ideas. Yeah, I was on your website this morning and I was watching a lot of your videos. They're great. They're 30 seconds to a minute long, little tips and just actionable things you can do right away. Right. This isn't about philosophy. I want this to be very nuts and bolts because <laughs> yeah. I feel, you know, sometimes you think great communicators are born that way. They're not born that way. Everybody has the ability to be a, big, a great communicator, to be a champion of their points. They just need to be pointed in the right direction. Totally agree. Well, Joel, thanks so much for coming on the show today and sharing your ideas and, and feedback. And it's just very appreciated. And I'm sure the audience got something to take home with them. Thank you, Angela. It was a lot of fun. Thanks.
Okay, there you have it. My interview with Joel Schwartzberg. I hope you got a couple good tips to take with you and try for your next presentation. If you like the show and you're learning lots and you're just so excited you found us, please consider leaving a review on iTunes as it does help more people to find the show. You can do that in about two minutes and it's so painless and it's just so helpful. So thank you in advance if you do that. Also, if you're looking to build your public speaking skills and get more comfortable in front of others, consider joining the Speaker Sisterhood. We have clubs all over the place and if there isn't a club in your area, you can join a virtual club and give speeches from the comfort of your own home. I mean, what's better than that? So check us out at speakersisterhood.com and you can get started learning about how to build those skills. So that does it for me until next week, you guys, as always stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time. 